Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 56, for Monday, March 14th, 2016. Folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast for and by working musicians. Those of us that get out there, people call us weekend warriors. We do what we do because we love it, but we like to make sure we're doing it right. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And out here in Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. Good evening. Good week, I guess. It, it, I mean, it, it is evening at the moment while we're recording, but no one actually cares about that when they listen. So I'll just say good, 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 uh, good day to you, my friend. I don't know. Good day, good day sir. <laughs> good day, sir. Yeah, it's, hey, it's nice to speak with you. <laughs> uh, so how, uh, how are things with you? Things are awesome, man. Good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Did you have any gigs this weekend? I guess we'll start there since that's a place where we usually start. Yeah. I had a nice acoustic gig. We had a totally packed house, uh, great vibe, a lot of fun. And, uh, that acoustic scene is really rewarding. I actually heard that, um, our town that I live in wants to encourage more things to happen downtown. They're going to ease up the restrictions on music licenses or permits. I don't know a lot about the details. I just heard a little bit about this. And so the concept that there might be like, a, even a more vibrant scene in this little town that I live in for that people can make music and enjoy music is really exciting to me. That's outstanding, man. You, you yeah. should, you should feel proud. I, I am certain that you are a, a part of that. I mean, obviously there's other musicians there too, but I mean, you've been pushing music in your general area, but in your town, I know for, uh, for well over a decade. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a direct correlation. I no. think there's probably an indirect effect of good things happening. You know, the, the mm. typical, the typical pushback is, Oh, you know, we don't want a late night bar element in this little upscale town, but I mean, you know, acoustic music is certainly going to satisfy a lot of stuff Yeah, and there's ways to do it where, you know, you don't have to turn a little, a little, uh, you know, rural suburb into, you know, downtown Detroit. I mean, it doesn't have to happen that way. So Lascatus <laughs> becomes Motown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would take <laughs> I've been to Lascatus. It, it no risk. <laughs> and you, sir, are no Motown. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. I know Motown and you, sir, are no Motown. <laughs> yeah, but I get it. I mean, I, you know, th there is that concern of, you know, loud noise and late nights and all of that stuff, but but yeah, the acoustic thing can definitely um serve a lot of that. So that that's good, man. And it shows that, I mean, if they're talking about it, you know, in, I live in a small town, too. And, uh, you know, it's easy to sit and say, wow, what are our administrators doing? They're clueless. But they're never actually clueless. Right. And I actually don't tend to say that about our town, sometimes our school board. But but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> uh, but but even when I say it about the school board, it's wrong. Right. Because they are members of our community and they are listening to someone in the community, right? So when well, they're th volunteering their time, they have exactly. skin in the game by definition. Right. Exactly. So they're not phoning this in. No, so they're, they're not. Right. Seeing it from their perspective. And that if their perspective happens to be protective, 
It's coming from somewhere. It's coming. Yes, this all comes from somewhere. So the fact that, that you know, this conversation is being had in your town means that it's coming from somewhere. And that's a yeah. good thing. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool, man. That's cool. How about you? Any gigs? Yeah, we had one of our fling fests uh, oh. this weekend. Yep. Uh, it's always tough to make this particular one work the, we, we try to do them. Uh, we try to do three of them a year. We, we basically skip the summer. So one a season and, uh, and the fall, the, the, the fall one usually pretty easy. The spring one we've got locked in. It's always the first Saturday in June. So that works. But this, this winter one, this is always the weekend we target, but it's tough because there's so much going on where it's like this transition, uh, of, of things and there's always a hockey tournament this weekend that gets in the way or potentially gets in the way and you know how many have you done oh man um probably not quite 10 but we're coming up on 10 10 at three years so you've been doing them for three years yeah so i would have to think three years and 10 events you know the word is out about this like it, people are it marking is. their calendars and and is it growing rapidly yeah. Th- again, this one is tough. There's always th- it, there's lots of people that want to come. Right. And but, you know, on any given weekend, it's there's always a zillion things going on. We we the, the reason we started these fling fests was because we wanted to create an event for people that were like us. Right. That had kids that I mean, you know, year, a couple of years ago were like middle school entering high school. Now it's mostly kids that are in high school, but you know, there's still some people that have younger kids or whatever, but by nature of targeting that crowd, you have a lot of things competing for your attention. Uh, you know, I, I certainly do. And so do all the the people that we're targeting. So there's probably a good, you know, 500 people that, that are interested, but you know, you're going to get about 150 to 200 of them at any given gig, right? Just by, mm-hmm. even if a hundred percent of the people that can go will, you're still not going to get half of the people, right? <laughs> Cause there's just always other stuff going on. Um, right. you know, but that's why like the one in that we do in June, we've really made it a habit of being that first Saturday in June, because there's, that's another time of year when there's just a lot competing for attention with school wrapping up and all of that. But yeah, you, you create habits, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, it, you know, I was thinking about it and you and I did a bunch of, uh, Cirque de Mac parties together. So it's a, you know, it's a similar thing. You build up a, a, a buzz about the thing and it, you know, you repeat some things and you change some things up, but you want to give people a, an experience that they can uh, predict, you know, that, that at some level, uh, even if some elements of it are unpredictable, but, um, it's, it's, um, it's good. You know, people, people look forward to it. And, uh, so this one, we, we switched it up a little bit. We just had two bands, which was, um, my band fling. And then the, uh, this band called jam patrol, which is actually uh, a couple of our kids. It's, it's four, uh, I guess they're all high school age. Now they were middle school age when they started, uh, playing and we gave them the headline spot this time because they always draw a ton of, ton of people you know a bunch of their friends come yeah and uh and it was interesting playing first at this because i'm used to playing by the time people have had you know a good few cocktails right and (laughs) and well in the room sort of buzzing and people trickle in throughout the night you know i mean it we we usually sell the room out but you know it's it's a there's a little bit of a churn to the crowd over the course of the night and all that so it was interesting walking up on stage, you know, early on. It was like I, I had some of those mo- some of those feelings like it did when uh, when we started doing our Cirque du Mac parties where I just couldn't be in the room as it was filling up. 
Cause I, every person that walked in the door was like, okay, well that's one more. Are there going to be enough here? You know, I just had all those things going on. I'm like, wait a yeah. minute. I've done this before. I got to get, I just got to go hang out in the green room. And you know, they had a stupid movie on or something. And I just chilled out and chatted with the guys. And suddenly, you know, 45 minutes had gone by and I went downstairs and it's like, Oh, Whoa, this place is <laughs> packed. You know? <laughs> yeah. It was that same, you know, the same experience that we've seen, but I just couldn't be there while that happened uh, this particular time. But, uh, but it worked out well. We actually played, uh, what we're planning for the next one is, as I mentioned here, to release, uh, use that as sort of the celebration of the release of of some of these songs that we've been recording here in, oh, yeah. with Fling. So we played a lot of those tunes, um, maybe half of those songs we played the other night. And so it was a, a fairly original, heavy set in, you know, in the grand scheme of, of things Fling. And those songs actually went over really, really well. And uh, I think for the next one, we're going to, going to do an original only set. I might have three bands come in and, uh, and have us play a, a little bit shorter set, but make it all originals. Just how you know. strange that you are like doing all the work to organize this thing. And you're cutting back and cutting back. You're pr- like giving up the headline slot. Yeah. I guess you don't, you don't see it. It's very interesting that you and all the guys in the group are cool with uh, the direction that goes. Um, so I'm cool with the direction that it goes and Russ is pretty cool with it. There's a couple of the guys though, Burke and Mike, Aaron is, is sort of whatever, you know, he takes it as it comes, but I, I, you know, it's been interesting having this conversation with, with the guys in the band, Burke and Mike are a little bit less. It's it, their only concern. I guess that's not their only concern. What their main concern is while well, we don't get as much time to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get that. But there's also the, you know, leave them wanting more kind of thing, but is, but you got to make sure you give them enough, you, you know? And, uh, and so there's that. And then there's the, it, uh, it was Mike this time that asked, isn't it weird that it's our party and we're not doing the headlining spot. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, yeah, but you know, again, we've done, you know, certainly more than six of these things. And people know, you know, Jam Patrol's played at every one. This isn't a weird, you know, it's not like we're bringing in some unknown. And there's always a bunch of kids there. So it's just like, nah, people, nah, it was fine. It worked out. It worked out great. In fact, I had a great night. It was nice to be able to play and then sort of chill out. So, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Good yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. Of of all 10 that you've done, how does this one rank? Um, this one was up there. You, you know, we had, it was the best sound we've ever had in the club. It's a tough room to do sound in. Uh, the, the real trick is it's a tough room to do sound for a family friendly event in uh, the, the, the tendency of most sound engineers that this club employs is to overrun the low end and really get the room thumping and, and all of that. And it's just, and, and then you have to drive the high end and it's low ceiling. So it gets kind of harsh uh, but this guy understood that and really kept things under control. And I don't know why, but it was one of the best in-ear monitor mixes I've ever had in my life. Mm. It's certainly the best I've ever had in that room. And and that's including, you know, most gigs where I mix my own ears. So, <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't know what it was, but uh, something about it. Actually, I know a couple of things. There's a couple of, you know, a couple of things I learned about what I, what I think I like in my mix versus what I actually like in my mix. And it was like, Oh yeah. Okay. But, um, but it was partially because the kids sound checked, uh, before us and, and my daughter who plays the drums in, in jam patrol wanted more of the lead guitar in her, in her ears. And since we were sharing a mix, 
they, it wound up in mine and I actually found I really liked that. Uh, okay. I'm going to ask an in-ears question. Now. Yeah, sure. So one of the challenges with me using in-ears is this perceived phenomenon that over the course of an evening, things change. And so even if I start, okay. And, and often it, it even changes from sound check to downbeat, right? Definitely. <laughs> you know, for, so yeah. it's like everybody's playing a kind of sound check intensity and then, you know, things change for downbeat and that's very frustrating, but sometimes I can get past that. Yep. But almost typically over the course of an evening, you know, people are hitting things harder and things are changing a lot. And I don't want to be that guy, you know, two thirds of the way through the show, still asking the sound guy a little more of this, a little less of that. Right. right. So I typically, if I can get a good first set with a full band, I'm pretty happy, but I'm pretty much only getting vocals. I'm making sure I can hear myself. So it, it, it accomplishes and guitar, my guitar, sure. um, it accomplishes the bass functionality, letting me hear myself, but I've almost given up the ghost on really having a full show with a great mixed. And it's not, it's no fault of the guy who's mixing me. Yep. It, it, it's, it's things change. Am I crazy or do things change? No, things change uh, for sure. And I, so my first question would be, is your board such that you could t make tweaks to your mix yourself from the stage, from like an iPhone or an iPad or anything like that. Absolutely. But again, I'm leading the show. Yeah, no, I get band. it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. It, um, you know, I know a lot of touring acts that have, uh, you know, a monitor engineered mixing in ears for the band. They, um, they will listen to each band members mix kind of spot checking throughout the night, knowing what they want to hear and listening and saying, Oh, okay, well now that's a little louder. So let me pull that back and let me, let me straighten it out. I, well, and then you, and then it goes another level. The, the guys in rush, they're insane. They have, uh, I watched a thing with their monitor engineer where they have, uh, like cut points in each song. So beginning of the song, you know, the drummer wants a lot of guitar in his monitor because, you know, he needs to hear the intro. But once the vocals come in, the, the lead guitar can get cut to half. I want the vocals a little louder in here. I want to hear a little more kick drum. And then when we get to the chorus, I want my mix like this. You know? mm. But they're playing basically the same show. You know, they've got one show. They do actually they have a couple mm -hmm. usually. But but, you know, it, you can you can do that when you've got a consistent set list for, say, 30 gigs. And, and right. also, you know, you've got plenty of budget to you know, to hire people, but yes, yes. That's a long winded way of saying, yeah, of course things change. I've, I've noticed that, you know, it, it, the, the worst is when I've got someone else running house sound. And as we did the other night, again, this worked out well, but where the problem can come in is if that person, you know, you get your monitor mix you, the way you want it. And then that person decides, okay, uh, that vocalist is not singing as loud as they were in sound check or is singing softer, you know, than they were. And now I need to change the gain on their channel uh, in order to get it to pump out right in the room. But yep. as soon as you change the gain, it changes everything, everything. Yeah. And that's where it's like, Oh crap. You know, especially if they decide the gain's got to come way up. Now, suddenly my ears are blasting me out with, you know, something and I have no ability to control it in the moment. And that that can be very frustrating. And obviously there's ways of dealing with that, but it requires more, you know, a separate a split uh, input so that you've got separate gains for the monitor. And that's I mean, nobody's going to have that equipment at the level that we're doing things. So net net, the point is that I'm making is 
absent of having a full-time monitor engineer. Yeah. Right. Really the, the, the best I am ready to hope for is just to use it so I can, especially for vocals. It's awesome. Sure. I mean that it changes the game in terms of your, your needed output and your desire to strain and, you know, a lot of things. Yep. It totally changes the game for that. And I think that's what in-ears does for me as a, you know, a weekend warrior cover band. Yep. If I'm not going to have someone writing the stuff and I'm leading the band and I can't, you know, turn around and start fiddling with stuff as we go. Right. Right. And, and also, I got to say also, I'm so focused on what I'm doing. All I know is that it's wrong. I'm mm. not really focused on what's wrong. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I am always focused on the sound in a general sense, but that's just me. You, you know, I have a, I'm, I'm saying I've got a lot of other things that I'm thinking about and, and I, I need my monitors to be just do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And, and right. So whether it's remembering words or focusing on the audience yeah. or, or the three different dedications I was supposed to make right. or, you know, how to transition from one song to the next or, you know, whatever my parts are literally thinking about monitors is I, it, maybe it should be higher, but just in, in the natural course of playing a show, I just want it to work. Yeah. Well, I, I just wanted to work too, too. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm doing all those things too. Right. In fling, I'm effectively the front man. You know, I sing half the songs it's, I got, and I'm playing an instrument that requires all four limbs. So I, you know, I mean, it, I, you know, I feel we'll start, you, we'll start playing that. <laughs> but you know, I'm, I, uh, I think you can think about the monitor too. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Huh. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have time to go, you know, dilly dally with it either. Right. You know, but I can, there are, there are times where I'm playing a song and I realize in the middle of the song, okay. That's right. You know, I want to bring the keys down. Now, it might take me three songs to remember to do that in between songs, you yeah. know, because the song finishes. And like you said, you've got the next thing to to deal with. And then the next song starts and you're like, oh, that's right. I oh. wanted to bring the keys down, you know, that kind of thing. Um, being a drummer, I do have if I have a control surface of some kind within arm's reach, I can. You know, if the groove is such that that I can, you know, put one stick away and and play it with with one hand, I can quickly reach over and make an adjustment. And I've and I've done that many, many times. Um, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But but yes, things change. Um, the other night things were good. You know, I always tell uh, does your does Joe use in-ears? No. Nope. Ah, OK. All right. Um, that was, I was kind of hoping he did because then it'd be all wired up for me and it'd be easy when I'm sitting in for you guys. Uh, but, um, one thing I've found and I tell every sound engineer this, I, I explicitly not only give them permission, but request that they do this. If I'm playing too loud, if they need me to come back in order for the mix to, you know, be right on stage, I always tell them, put more of my snare drum in my ears and, a, I should notice it, but even if I don't, self-preservation will take over, and I will play quieter. You know How about that. So, Joe asked for more kick. That, that seems to be the thing that he needs to hear the most to feel to feel balance on stage. Mm. A lot of drummers are like that. Yeah, I um, I and again, does it, do, do those rumble things you put under your seat? Do the, does that fix that? It, it, I, I guess, um. I've used them and they serve the same purpose as having a, you know, thumping monitor next to me, but I don't, I don't have that. 
uh, I never grew up with, with a big monitor next to me. Mm-hmm. So I hear enough of my, I feel enough of my bass drum from my bass drum, which is, you know, connected to my foot. Essentially. I, I get why drummers would want more than that. Right. I mean, it, but I'm not one of those. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't need the rumble seat. I get, I can get enough kick. I like to have a little bit of kick in my ears, but obviously that's not going to shake my, my seat. You know, if it does, I've got much bigger health problems to deal with, but, (laughs) but, but, you know, it, it's, um, I, I get it. I mean, if you're used to it, then you're used to it. it. It's actually uncomfortable for me when I'm playing on like a wooden stage with subs underneath it. But when mm-hmm. I hit the kick, it just like the whole stage explodes, even without it being in the monitors. I mean, I, I can deal with it. It's fine, but it's not my preference. It's always a yeah. little it feels like too much because what happens is then I'll want to play louder everywhere else to compensate for that. And that's not that's th- bad. That's bad. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a, it's sort of distracting because I'm, I'll be playing and I'll think, no, 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 no. I, I got to, you know, restrain myself up top here, even though this bottom feels like this you know, canon that, that owns the room, <laughs> which, yeah. which it does, which is good, you know? So, yeah, I, I prefer a, a more restrained stage volume. Um, cool. Yeah. I don't know. So net, net successful fling fest. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, on to the next one. And, and yeah, already thinking about the next one. We've been doing a lot of recording and mixing and just discussing a thing. So that, that process has been, that's been fun. It, uh, I can tell that we're, there Excellent. are a few battles that we're going to have to uh, negotiate uh, between us as band members. <laughs> but that's what, I mean, that, that's just how that that's how that process works. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to it. So um, I, I, I don't have anything to say about this, but I'll use it to lead into the next topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow night, I am going to see uh, a performer that you've seen many, many times. But um, but isn't necessarily your favorite performer at nor is nor is he mine. I'm going to see Barry Manilow with uh, with my ah. wife tomorrow night. I've never seen him before. So, well, I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. I, you know, my wife right. is huge, like lifelong. That's her guy. And yeah. I've seen him many times. And it was a tongue in cheek thing when we first started going. And but it sure made her happy. But the last time I saw him, which is supposedly, supposedly this is his goodbye tour, I guess. That's right. I, supposedly. I have to say, you know, to see, and I've said this in the show and many other times, as a musician, if you mean something to somebody, you've contributed to this world. Of course. And he means a lot. And he, he's written a lot of songs that are pretty, pretty cool songs. I mean, some of them are kitschy, but... Um, Oh, he's a, he's a great performer. Yeah. He's, he's a, a remarkably great vocalist, especially for his stuff. I mean, he is that style, uh, you know, he is a modern day, what do you want to say? Crooner. Yeah. And, um, it's not, it's not that modern. It's like, I mean, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's a funny thing. When we were growing up, it was in vogue to make fun of Barry Manilow. I always I always secretly liked many of his songs. But why secretly? Right. Well, everybody else was dissing on him. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But but my my appreciation for him this last time to see, you know, grown men and women crying at the thought of not being able to see him again to, you know, to see how he works a crowd and moves a crowd with his romantic songs. Yeah. He's a pro. I mean, he he is the poster child for a pro. I mean, and he 
you know, played on and continued on and, and sang to his audience and, and, uh, you know, just year after year after year, yep. tour after tour after tour, album after album after album. You have to tip your hat to a man that means that much to his fans. Absolutely. He he means a ton to my wife as well. So I'm happy to go with her. And, 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 you know, as a musician, there's, even if it's a band I don't like, and, and like I said, I do like a lot of his stuff. Um, it, but even if it's a band I don't like, I can always, you know, find something to get out of, of going and watching someone perform. No, the backup band is going to be the best pros in right. the world, right? <laughs> right. Is Dave, is Dave Kaz opening for him? I, I think so. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, but um, um, Dave Hooper was the drummer for Dave Cause, and Dave Hooper is a, a friend of mine that I met through MacWorld stuff, and ah. you know he's just he was in the Rippingtons. Yeah. Again, it's that type of guy yeah. that you know these are the best of the best of the best. Yeah, of course. And so we wound up uh, it, uh, not because we went out of our way for it, but because I bought tickets right when they went on sale, or maybe even with a pre-sale that you know we had a code for or something. We have third row seats. Awesome, man. So I, I'm, so I expect you. to be the, the least Barry Manilow fan of the people around us. So it should be an interesting thing. And, and of course, being that close to the stage, well, I'll you tell you get a funny so much thing out is of it. So we, we had, uh, we were at really good seats and it was a Barry Manilow audience that you would expect, you know, a little older. Yeah. And, um, and it was a funny thing because in our, in our section, we had this conversation about, do you stand and dance? Do you remember we had that one? I, I do. In fact, I was, I was just thinking about that earlier tonight. Cause Lisa said, it's going to be really hard for her to have to sit down at times. And I said, well, you know, you do whatever you want to do. I don't care. Yeah. You know, it's fine by me. We're in well, the that, third row. The people that bought seats after us, they come next. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> so the, to remind the audience, you know, there, there was a woman who would stand up fast song. So song, she would stand up. Yeah. And there was a guy who at first very nicely said, I can't see. Right. And she did not take very long to get for the claws to come out and get pretty, <laughs> get pretty in, in this guy's face. And uh, it was, it was a very non Barry Manilow moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, Have a great time. Thank you. So, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to, to, to give a, a, a report next week. But uh, but so last night, though, you got to see a performer that you you have seen many times as well, yes. but that you choose to go see even all by yourself. So I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on the show, but I am a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Is that is that a recent thing, Paul? No, no, no. This is my <laughs> 92nd show that I've been to. Is that right? So, I, you know, I counted them because it's, you know, 40 some odd years of touring. And there were a couple of years before I was married. Where I went to a lot of shows on, on every tour, like mm. everything I could do. And then um, certainly every tour that he's been through here, when he comes to my town, I, I try to see every show that he does. Sure. So, you know, add them all up. 92 shows. He was incredible. I mean, I'm, I'm still I'm still. I went with a bunch of eight guys and um, it was funny. There were a lot of house rockers in the group. One of the house rockers said it was good, but the music's kind of simple at one of the horn guys. Right. So we're smacking that guy in the head. Right. And then uh, Simon, the other guitar player who had seen him with me the last time he was here, but we had way better seats this time. And this show was something special and it, it was three and a half hours, no break intense. And the last 90 minutes was unbelievable. And Simon was like, Whoa, you know, I get it now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man, 66 years old, three and a half hour shows. It's all him singing every note of every, of every song. It's not, he doesn't dance around. He's not 
quite as physical as he once was, but um, the, the intensity of the show and, and uh, that thing you feel when you go to a rock and roll show that takes you to that place. That's yeah. what happened last night. That's awesome. It was yeah. powerful. I mean, it was, it was really something he played the, this was a tour where he's playing the river album. So he did a 20, 20 songs in sequence of that album. And that album actually is, is a little bit hard to, access if you're not a hard, hardcore fan there's a couple songs on that album that are you know lyric wise mood wise you know they're not going to grab you right away but it, it, you know for someone who is a fan it was stunning sure and then he finishes it and he says so that's the river and then they go right into 90 minutes more of hits we got out of there at midnight last night wow and everybody was just exhausted and and uh you remember what a rock and roll show is supposed to be you know the yeah you, you remember, first of all, three and a half hours. I don't know that there's anybody else who's doing that. The Stones, I think, are two two hours fifteen. Is that right? Yeah, I guess so. That's right. Yeah, I can't remember if the Stones are doing two sets nowadays. I, I guess not. No, they just do one long show. Yeah, and you know, McCartney's not that long, and and uh, McCartney was pretty long. Really? Actually, McCartney was close to three hours. I don't think it was quite three. Uh, but it was close. And when we saw the Eagles, they should have been more than three, but Glenn Fry rest, rest his little heart there, uh, was being a cheapskate that night and didn't want to push past the, uh, the, the curfew of the venue. So he actually cut uh, Rocky mountain way from the set. Oh, I know Chipped. it's like, dude, you know what we paid to be here? It's, it's okay to pay, you know, whatever it is, 20 grand to, to, to run, run over a little bit. So what did you pay to go to that, by the way? Probably 150 bucks a ticket. I would say, I mean, we didn't, we, we bought them at, at face value. Yeah. I've been buying concert tickets for a long time. Like you have, right. So you know what to do to, to get decent seats, right. When they go on sale, you just have to pay attention and, and, and all of that. So, yeah, we didn't we didn't scalp them or anything, but my guess is it was a you know there were four of us that went. It was, it was I mean probably close to a six hundred dollar night. Yeah. Got it. Well, I'm just going to leave it at this. Three and a half hours. The last ninety minutes would would take any great rock show. Yep. I'd put it up against any rock show I've ever seen in terms of intensity and and you know that feeling of electricity yeah. through twenty thousand people. It was really 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 fun and and. It, as a performer, as a musician, I walked out of there saying, I got to get home and pick up my guitar. I mean, I just, I was just so inspired. I cannot wait to play this weekend. That's good. I just, I'm like, I'm on fire with, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yep. That's good. I would like, I've only seen Bruce once and it was in a stadium and our seats were, you know, maybe a little more than halfway back and the connection just didn't happen. A stadium uh, is a weird gig. I it mean, is. Does, does totally. any, is anybody a great stadium band? I think the only bands that are great. Well, Oasis might have been a great stadium band. Um, Never saw. Yep. I, I, I only saw them in a, in an arena. I saw them at Madison square garden, uh, but they, it, it was obvious that they had a weird thing, man. Um, if they ever tour again, and I hope they do go, go see them. Those guys just great stood. Songs. Yeah, well, see, that's it. They just stood on stage and played, but somehow, they captured you with every single note. 
by doing nothing. I mean, you couldn't take your eyes off of them. It was weird, but you know, this is a band that's used to playing like big, massive, you know, soccer stadium kind of things. Right. So 18,000 people is like, Oh, we got these. I mean, they're, they're all in the palms of our hand all night, you know, but it was interesting to see that. So maybe they were, they're a good stadium band, but otherwise I think the only bands that are good stadium bands are, your favorite band that you happen to go see in a stadium where no, I mean, you're I saw already Bruce bought in stadiums. I, I saw Bruce in stadiums and there are moments when there's 50,000 people singing along that are, that are pretty cool. Sure. But I mean, you're watching it. If you don't have good seats and even if, even if you're down on the field, you're watching it on a screen and you know, yeah. it's not the same. I mean, right. Arenas are great and, and small arenas to me are really even better. Are the best. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. This place we're going to see Barry tomorrow night. I mean, it's, you know, maybe a 9,000 seater. So it's oh, like, that's, I, that's the size. Yeah. I like, right. I like places. So I would, I would definitely go see uh spring scene again. If, uh, if the opportunity arose in a, you know, in an arena to get that feeling of it being a rock show, as opposed to, watching something that's probably happening over there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be in it. Yeah. Yes. That, and that's what it was. You are in the moment in that show. Now you are a, a max respecter, but not necessarily, you know, a big fan of his drumming. Is that right? Oh, I, well, I mean, yeah, is, um, his drumming isn't overly complex, right? But, but he's got, he's kind of like Charlie Watts in, in my book, right? Which, which heavier. He's heavier. Yes. Yeah. But Charlie can drive that band playing lightly. I mean, you know, don't don't think for a second that that he's not the one that owns that show every time. Well, right. I, I love Charlie. And, and again, the, that vibe only comes from it starts there. Not it starts, only comes from there, but it starts. It there. starts. But there, I'll yeah. say this. Think about Bruce and think about the songs that immediately come to your mind about Bruce. Yep. They're probably pretty intense songs, right? Yeah. Born, Born to Run, Badland, something like that. Yeah. So imagine essentially three and a half hours of having to play that on drums. But does Max hit all that hard though? I he always, it sure looks like it does. It does. He, okay. Yeah. 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 All he, right. He, he's throwing his arms at his symbols. He's, he's, uh, yeah, that, that if you watch, I, I got to watch him more closely. Cause I've always kind of thought of him as a, a powerful drummer, but, but someone who is very, focused on economy of motion, right? Like I don't need to overdo this because you don't need to overdo it when you're playing the drums. You can get a lot of power out of, out of drums without. I have heard he's had a lot of health problems and, and, and actually I heard early in his career, he had time problems and, um, and he's, he's adapted his style and approach to, to that to drumming. But yeah. yeah, but I, I, I would say it's, I would say it's, much bigger than the than the style that I see with with Charlie or yeah. Ringo type of thing. Yeah. I mean, he's Ringo he's hit drums. really hard, by the way, in in the Beatles days. He was just just good physics, right? Because it didn't look like he did, right? Right. But he was, yeah, he was loud. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, he had to be. They, I mean, the mic sucked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so I, I would definitely go see Bruce. And if, if I ever got, if, if the logistics worked out and we got to see him together, I, I would love to see him with you because that would. Love that. Well, that would, you know, some of that's going to have to spill over, I, I, I would think. Some of the, the joy that, that you know, that, that you're. Yeah, but you you're my musician through. friend who, like, our whole time together, you're like, I know it just doesn't do that thing for me that it does for other people. And I'm like, I don't understand how it doesn't. I know. Yeah. You're alive, right? You play drums. You like rock and roll. Yeah. And I, I, I get intellectually that there's some people that this doesn't happen for. Right. But especially after walking out of something like last night, 
who wouldn't want to feel like that? Sure. I mean, how, and how, how could you be there and not feel like that? Remember early in his career, the thing was, you got to see him live. You got to see him live. Right. Right. He's been, he's been doing this at this high level for a really, really long time. 92 times for me. Well, I talked, I uh, talked to our friend Chris Breen about, uh, about Bruce yeah. at one point after I saw him, I said, you know, I went and saw him and it just didn't do it. I said, but you know, it was a big place. He said, you know what? I went through exactly the same thing. And I always thought of Chris and I still think of Chris as a, you know, a, a fairly uh, big Springsteen fan, you, you yeah. know, but, uh, but he said, yeah, you know, the first time I saw him, it was an arena, but I was way in the back and it just didn't do it. And he said, then I went and saw him again and I was, uh, you know, much closer and I was kind of in it. And he said it was a whole different experience. So I thought, okay, that that's cool. I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll take that with me. I'll go, I'll go one more time, at least one more time. Go I mean, it's live time. music. You know, I, there's it, it, like I said before, even if it's a band you hate and certainly okay. Springsteen's not on that list for me. But uh, even if it is a band you hate, you can always find something. I don't well, know. Well, I remember anyway. what we said, you know, talk about someone who means something to people. Right. He's in oh, rare yeah. air. I mean, at 66, touring like this, you know, putting out, you know, I would say meaningful new material. You know, some people don't like his last couple of stuff. Sure. But if you're holding everything he does up to Born to Run, you're going to kind of set yourself up to, you know, for for disappointment. You know, it, it's just, it's a different thing. But again, there's not a lot of musicians of the rock era that have, that have gone on for this long, right. That have continued to call. And the, the really interesting thing about his shows now, his audience, there's like a whole younger audience discovering him and appreciating him, not in a kitschy kind of, Oh, that classic Ironic rock stuff way. That my, yeah, yeah, that right. my dad used to listen to, but like really, really into it. I mean, if you look in the pit, the kids that are dancing, I mean, that's great. It is, it is that thing that music, you know, will, will, good, good music will, will uh, transcend everything. And that's what I see happening. So yep. he is, he's that rare artist. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm glad for anybody who gets what I get out of him. Yep. But I'm, I half am a, um, I'm one half inspired, one half just appreciated. And my third half would be, you know, that's still what I want to do when I grow up. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So, uh, so, I mean, we could end the show here and, it, and, and it, I'm glad we let you wax poetic about Bruce here because this was, this was probably a long time in coming. So, uh, and it was perfectly, perfectly time to wait until now, now that you, you know, you're kind of on this afterglow here. So, yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good, man. I, you know, I love that part about rock and roll shows, any rock and roll show that where, where that works, where it's like you leave and you're like, oh, that's what I love, you know, and. And I've actually been going through a little bit of, uh, I, I don't want to say withdrawal, but, but, a you know, a little bit of envy this week about, uh, uh, South by Southwest. Mm. I had, I, I used to go to, as you know, I used to go to South by Southwest every year and I would go for interactive and then, Hey, because I'm in town, I'll stay through music. And it started the first year. And this is ridiculous. I lived in Austin uh, for six years and avoided South by Southwest like the plague because it totally takes over downtown. It makes it impossible to do anything. And and living there, it's sort of a disaster. But what I should have done was just gotten a hotel room and traveled to South by Southwest by driving my car 10 minutes and parking it, you know, downtown and then just doing that for a couple of days. Uh, but I never did. But the one year I was down there, we had, a, you know, uh, Backbeat Media, we had an office there for a long time. And uh, I just happened to be in town over South by Southwest. So I had a press pass, which got me into everything. 
And so I went to some of interactive and that was, it was pretty good, you know? And then I thought, well, I'm here. I should, you know, and I have this, this pass that just lets me walk into any music venue. I should go check out some music. And then in the course of four days, I saw 28 bands and some of them were bands like REM and Van Morrison. And some, you know, some of them <laughs> were bands. bands. Yeah. What, well, that was the thing, you know, the biggest venue held 2000 people and that's like the very, very biggest. And then, you know, the, the smallest venue maybe held 50 people, but no venue was gargantuan. Right. You, you know, it was like these, most of them, most of them, even like where I saw Van Morrison, there were maybe 300 people there, you know, REM was at the 2000, venue but it the way it was laid out it's this outdoor thing you kind of feel like there's maybe 500 people there which was really cool to see them in that uh, kind of a venue but uh but i loved it because you i mean you just you know every most of the some of the headliners are going to play an hour and a half or whatever maybe two hours but for the most part they put five bands in every club throughout the night and each band basically has an hour including the time it takes them to get set up on stage so everybody plays 40 minutes that, you know, they start at the top of the hour, they finish it at 20 of, there's a changeover and then the next band's up. And so even if it's a crappy band, there's going to be something you can get out of it. And oh man, just being steeped in that was outstanding. And it, I started to really hate the interactive part of it. It just became this echo chamber of, uh, of South by Southwest. It's a three yeah. kind of a, a, a three pronged show. It's, it's film and interactive and, and music. And film sort of runs throughout the whole thing. So I actually got to see a, a lot of cool films, including a lot of really cool rock documentaries. But uh, but I finally got to the point where it was like, this interactive is is worthless for me to to attend. And I did go one year where I just went for music. And it was like, you know, I have to accept that this is just a boondoggle. This I can't like convince myself anymore that this is a business trip, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so I haven't gone for a couple of years, but I'm, I'm missing out on it because of, of that, you know, it was four days of just like feeding my soul of, with nothing but music and just, you know, walking from venue to venue and just, you know, kind of trying to carve out your schedule. And, uh, it was, it's, you know, it's a cool thing. It's Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking, you know, th to finish on this Bruce thing, like for most of us, probably most of the people listening to this. We, we, you start as maybe a preteen and this music starts to get into you. And then you go through this, you know, these teenage years that are a confusing, difficult thing. And music is the one constant that connects you to the world, connects you to life. And then you put an instrument in your hands and then it further is that, that sense of meaning that you have. I don't know. I think we spend much of the rest of our lives chasing that, that feeling again. I mean, it's, it is the, it's, the the weirdest time in your life those years, but the best time of your life. Mm -hmm. And uh, and if you can if you can get to the, the when he played the river, that was you know a thirty five year old album. He played that, and I closed my eyes, and I was right back in those feelings. You know, from that period of time. The, it, I guess it's a good way to end here, Dave. You know, music still saves. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. Well, I guess there's no reason to talk about anything else in this uh, this particular episode, is there? I think once you start talking about Bruce, it's really hard to follow Bruce. So we'll just leave it here. <laughs> we will leave it there. <laughs> yeah, but but tell you know we'd love to hear your stories about about how music has you know how how what what did it take to get you here, right? What, what is that for you? And and what do you like to when you need to feed that part of you? What do you go see? Yeah. Right? What is what is it that does it for you? You know, uh, that's good group therapy stuff. It is. Yeah. You know, I um. 
I mean, I, I get, there's a lot of bands I get that with. Um, and sometimes it happens when you're, you're not expecting it, which is awesome. You know, you go to see a local band and I mean, they just put on the right kind of show in the right kind of room. And it's like, yep, same thing. It's just, you're in it. You're in it. And I had that moment. In fact, watching the kids play, uh, in jam patrol the other night, they wrote this original that they played. It's in, um, well, it's in, I mean, I guess it's in 15, eight. It's, it's, a, it's a, well, it's a measure of eight and a measure of seven that follows this, this guitar groove. But, um, but it, I mean, is that it, what it is? It was a riff that it just happened to work out to 15, eight, or do they say, Hey, check out this cool odd time signature thing I have. Um, well, when Nico, the guitar player brought it in, uh, I was up here helping the kids get set up and he started playing it and he's like, it's in set, you know, he's like, it's in eight and then seven. So he knew, I don't, I, I don't know how it started. I don't know if it was intentionally, I want to write something, you know, uh, in odd time or if he wrote, if he played this riff and then was like, let me sort it out. Um, cause he's, he's pretty, I mean, he's whatever, 14, but, but he's, you know, he's got a good head on him. They all do. They, they've all been in school band and stuff. So they're pretty steeped in this stuff, but, um, but it had a groove to it, you know, and that was the thing is, you know, you, you that, and the, it wasn't just me. The whole crowd was just sort of bouncing along to this thing, even though it was dropping an eighth note every other measure. Um, and even if you knew that was what was happening, it still had this. I mean, it was a really, really great tune. It, it was it's up on Facebook. I'll, I'll share it from yeah, our uh, from our page. Yeah. They, I mean, and the kids played it well. Uh, and, you know, it was just that moment where you don't expect to get caught in it. And then suddenly I was caught in it. And I was like, oh, awesome. This is, this is great. great. Yeah, good, man. Yeah, it's good. That's good. So share your share your stories with us. We would love to hear them. Please. Feed, feedback at giggabpodcast.com and, uh, and find us on Facebook at Giggab Podcast. So it's all good stuff. Well, we've got topics for next week then, don't we, Paul? Yeah, we're going to talk next week. We're going to talk about how can your band stand out? How can you interpret how your band stands out? And uh, maybe it'll help you get some more gigs. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the trick, I suppose. That's the goal. So, yeah. We'll see you next week, folks. Thank you so much for listening. See Take ya. it easy.